If perhaps you're watching for the first time online, welcome. We're glad that you could join us on our Facebook live stream of this service. We have been preaching through a series that we are calling Christmas with the Savior. We have looked at our need for the Savior by looking at the creation story and man's fall, fall into sin and how Jesus became for us our second Adam who did what the first Adam failed to do. We have looked at the promise of, of the Savior from the book of Isaiah. Last week, we looked at the announcement of the Savior as we looked at the story of the shepherds and the angels. And this morning, we are going to look at gifts for the Savior as we consider the story of the wise men and their approach to Jesus on that first Christmas day. Let's read our scripture this morning. Matthew chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 1 through 12. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them when the Christ, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search dil diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you for this remarkable Christmas story. We thank you, Lord God, for your good providence that you would lead these wise men from the east to the foot of of Jesus, their Savior and their King. I pray, Lord God, that you would, by your Spirit, do the same thing with us, that we might be led to the feet of Jesus, that we might worship him and give our lives as a thanksgiving offering for all that he has done for us. Hear our prayer, for we pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. Amen. Well, something very cool is happening tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, Jupiter and Saturn are going to align to form what some are calling a Christmas star. If you want to see it, you'll have to go outside at 4.42 p.m. That's when the sun goes down. You'll need to look southwest, and then you should be able to locate the Christmas star, which is right about there in relationship to the moon. 
The Christmas star will be brightest at 5.27 p.m., 45 minutes after the sun goes down. If you wait until 5.30, you can still see it, but you'll be just a little bit late. Now, if you do go outside to see the Christmas star, I hope you bring a camera. Because the last time that the Christmas star happened, that these alignments of Jupiter and Saturn happened, was 1623. And the last time the Christmas star was actually visible from the earth was 1226 A.D. Most of our elders were not even born in 1226 A.D. Just kidding, elders. Now, if you miss it, and I hope you don't, you'll have to wait until March 15th, 2080, in order to see it again. 2080. Now, I am happy to join you on March 15th, 2080, but I hope you bring some insurer and a couple extra batteries for my hearing aids, because I will be 103 years old. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. What we'll be witnessing tomorrow night is a rare double conjunction, but according to Johannes Kepler, one of the greatest astronomers who ever lived, arguably the greatest astronomer who ever lived, though, full disclosure, I've never actually argued with anyone about that. What we're going to be seeing, what the, the first wise men saw was not a double conjunction, but an ultra-rare triple conjunction between Jupiter, Saturn, and Venus. Three planets arrived. That's why the star was so bright. That's what enabled the, the wise men to see the star from the east. But it was so much more than that. The light that they saw was not merely the, the conjunction of planets in the night sky. It was the light of hope. It was the light of joy. It was the light of salvation. It was the light of peace. And so with deep longing in their hearts, the wise men followed the star to the little town of Bethlehem. They were looking for a king, but instead they found a baby boy. The boy Jesus, cradled in the arms of his mother Mary. When they found Jesus, they were so overwhelmed with joy, exceeding glorious joy, that they worshipped him, giving him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, gifts fit for a king. They worshipped their Savior and their Lord. The question for all of us this morning is, have you seen the light that they saw? Have you come this morning to worship your king? How important is Jesus to you? To Herod, Jesus was very important. So important that he wanted to kill King Jesus. He saw Jesus as a rival to his autonomy, a, a pretender to his throne, and so he wanted Jesus dead. To the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, Jesus wasn't important at all. They knew the Christmas story. They quoted the right verse about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, the city of David, but they were unwilling to participate in the story. They were unwilling to join this strange cast of characters that included uh, shepherds and angels and Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were being offered the gift of immortality. 
But instead, they chose to walk the path of indifference. To the wise men, Jesus was the most important person in the entire world. And so they sought Jesus, and they found Jesus. And when they found him, they worshipped their king. This story reminds us, as Dr. Ladner reminded us in Sunday school last week, that wise men and wise women still seek him. Wise men and wise women still find him. Wise men and wise women still worship their king. Do you? Do you have the kind of faith that these wise men had? Do you have this kind of savior? Do you realize that Christmas, for all the music and the lights and the sounds and the colors, is really all about him? That we will not understand what Christmas really means until we see the face of Jesus. How do we do that? Is that that still possible? 2,000 years after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, 2,000 years after the wise men traveled from the east to come to see their king. It is. How do we do it? Let's take a closer look. Scene one, the wise men arrive in Jerusalem. Verse one, now after Jesus was, being bo- was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, who were these wise men? Earlier in the worship service, we sang the song, We Three Kings. Is that who they were? Were these wise men kings? Well, in the Greek text, they're actually referred to as magi, as in magic or magician. They were more than likely astrologers. They were people who were fortune tellers, people who interpreted dreams. Rodney Stark, in his excellent book, The Triumph of Christianity, suggests that they were Zoroastrians, members of the only other monotheistic faith in the ancient world other than the Jews. Now, where did they come from? Again, the song says that they came from the Orient. Is that where they came from? Where is the Orient? Well, Matthew tells us in the text that they actually came from the east. And so the two most likely candidates were Persia or Babylon, modern-day Iraq or modern-day Iran. We, we guess that they traveled about 500 miles, to, or 900 miles, to get to Jerusalem. 900 miles is roughly the same distance between here, Pensacola, and the city of Chicago. So it was quite a long distance for them to travel. Now, how many magi were there? How many wise men were there? Again, the song suggests that there were three. But were there just three kings? Based When you factor in the distance of the trip, the number of supplies that they would need to have brought with them to travel 900 miles, and the fact that they most likely had guards who were guarding the treasures that they were carrying, we're guessing that this was probably a rather large caravan of people. How many, we don't exactly know, but it's not unreasonable to suggest that there were between 50 and 75, perhaps even 100 people who made this, tr- this trek from the east to the city of Jerusalem. Now, when did they arrive? 
Did they arrive there on Christmas Eve? Did they arrive there on Christmas morning? According to most of our nativity sets, they arrived on Christmas Eve. In most of our nativity sets, we have the three wise men right there in the manger next to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels. But is that, in fact, the case? Probably not. Our best guess is that it took at least a month, perhaps several months, in order to get to Jerusalem. Remember, it was a large group of people. It was a very long trip. Plus, there were a bunch of guys, and so we know they didn't stop to ask for directions. But um bum chang. So, your mission today, if you want to apply this, ser- this sermon today, if you choose to accept it, you need to go home and take the wise men out of your nativity scene. I don't care where you put them. You can put them in the garage. Uh, I suggest maybe you tape them up to your mailbox. Uh, that way, when your friends and neighbors see the wise men taped to your mailbox, and they ask you, why have you placed the magi on top of your mailbox, you can answer them, because our pastor is weird. <laughs> That's where they were. Okay, so why did they come to Jerusalem instead of Bethlehem? Good question. They came to Jerusalem because they were looking for the king of the Jews. And they naturally assumed, since Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, that they would find the king of the Jews in a palace in Jerusalem. That's the most logical place for you to look for the king. Now, we're not exactly sure how they connected the dots between the star and the king of the Jews, but our best guess is that they were familiar with the prophet Isaiah. If you know the history of the Old Testament, you'll know that the Jews were captives in Babylon for 70 years, and that during that 70-year period, the prophet Isaiah was prophesying to the people of Israel. So our best guess is that they made the connection, the wise men made the connection, because some of their ancient ancestors had been familiar with the very specific messianic prophecies attributed to Isaiah. They had heard that the king of the Jews was coming, the Messiah. And so they came to Jerusalem to seek out that great and mighty king. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus, the king of the Jews, was important to the wise men. So important that they were willing to follow the evidence wherever it took them. So important that they were willing to leave their homeland to go where God was directing them. So important that they were willing to summon all of their courage to stand before King Herod, the purported king of the Jews, and say to him, Where is he who is born the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Not you, Herod. Him. Is Jesus that important to you? Are you willing to follow the evidence wherever it takes you? Are you willing to go wherever God is directing you? Even if it requires courage, even if it requires faith, even if you don't, even if like Abraham, you're not exactly sure where God is bringing you. If you are willing, you will find Jesus. Or, more importantly, Jesus will find you. Scene two, Herod is knocked off balance. Verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled 
and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. When Herod heard these words from the three wise men, or the hundred wise men, or however many wise men there were, he was greatly troubled. And if you know the backstory, you can understand why he was greatly troubled. Herod had been appointed the king of the Jews by the Roman governor. He wasn't royalty, he probably wasn't Jewish, he might have been half Jewish, but in the eyes of the people, he had no legitimate claim to the throne. He was a pretender, he was a puppet of the Roman Empire, he was nothing more than a high-level bureaucrat pretending to be the king. Herod knew how tenuous his position was in Israel, and so he became ruthless to the point of paranoia. He was always sniffing out plots and plans and conspiracies against him. And whether or not there was actually any evidence to these conspiracies, he would often execute everyone involved just to be safe. Toward the end of his life, Herod personally ordered the execution of his wife, Later, he personally ordered the execution of three of his sons. His final act on his deathbed was to order the execution of a hundred senators who he perceived to be disloyal to him. That's why Matthew writes that all of Jerusalem was troubled alongside of Herod because if Herod was troubled, that meant trouble for everyone in the kingdom. Now, it might not seem like it based on this story, but Jesus was very, very important to Herod. So important that he tried to kill him. If you look down at verse verse 16, you'll see that Herod was so desperate to kill Jesus that he picked a two-year window and he executed all of the babies born in Jerusalem during that two-year window. So much hatred filled his heart that he was willing to commit infanticide just for the opportunity to kill the Lord Jesus. Why? Because Jesus right because Herod rightly perceived that Jesus was a threat to his authority. Jesus was a threat to his sovereignty. Herod knew what all of us know deep down, and that's this. There can only be one king. Either Jesus is the king or you are the king, but, there, but it can't be both. There's one king, one Lord, one Savior. You have to choose. If Jesus is your king, that means he's Lord of your money. It means that he gets to decide how you spend, save, and give your money because it's his money. It all belongs to him. He's the king. If Jesus really is your king, then he is the lord of your media. He has the right to tell you what movies you can watch, what movies you cannot watch, what music that you should be listening to, what music you shouldn't be listening to, what you should or shouldn't post on social media. If Jesus is your Lord, he is the Lord of that aspect of your life. If Jesus is the Lord, the King, then he is the Lord of your marriage. He has the right right to set down boundaries between unmarried people, He has the right to give direction to husbands and wives about what what a Christian husband or a Christian wife should look like. 
If Jesus is the king, then he has the right to tell us hard things, to pray for those who persecute us, to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile. If Jesus is the king, he has the right to tell us glorious truths. He has the right to tell us that we have been adopted into the family of God. He has the right to to tell us that we have been reconciled to God through him. He has the right to forgive our sins. This week, this Christmas season, as Christmas quickly approaches this Thursday night and Friday morning, choose your king wisely. Earthly kings say, you must serve me. Jesus said, I must serve you. Earthly kings like Herod say, you must die for me. Jesus the king said, I must die for you. Earthly kings come and go. They preside over temporal kingdoms. They are here today and gone the next. But Jesus, our king, is the everlasting king over an everlasting kingdom. He's my king. Is he your king? Are you willing to go and follow him wherever he leads you? Are you ready to worship your king? Scene three. The religious leaders sleep through Christmas. Have you ever overslept and missed something really, really important? Have you ever overslept and missed an important job interview, a Zoom meeting, church on Sunday? I'm told that happens from time to time. Pastor Joel, I'm so sorry I overslept on Sunday. Somehow I woke up on the golf course. I don't know what happened. (laughs) When I was in college, I once slept through a final exam. There's no worse feeling, I think. Maybe, Maybe giving birth. I've not done that. But emotionally, there's almost no worse feeling than sleeping through a final exam. I was sure I was gonna fail that class, have to take another semester of college. It was the worst. Well, that's essentially what happened to the chief priests and the scribes in the story. This was, theoretically, the most important day of their life. Their families had been waiting for Jesus for centuries. And now, he's here, and they missed it. They slept in. They missed the final exam. They failed the class. Verse 3. When Herod, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. The religious leaders had the right answer. They said Bethlehem. They read from Micah 5. That was the right passage to, to quote. And then apparently they just went home because they're not mentioned again through the rest of the story. They didn't say, we're coming with you. Show us where you saw the star. Take us to the king. Show us Jesus. We want to worship him too. They were cold. They were indifferent. They were apathetic. No curiosity. No faith. One of the things that we see over and over again in the Bible is that religious people are often the last people to believe if they ever believe at all. 
Now that's a warning to us because we need to be careful as Christians, especially around Christmas time, because we know the Christmas story like the back of our hands. We know the story about the wise men. We know the story about Mary and Joseph and the angels and the shepherds. We know the whole thing. Here's the warning. The chief priests and the scribes knew the story too. The problem is they didn't believe. They didn't have any affection for Jesus. And because Jesus didn't grip their affections, he didn't change their lives. They missed him. Don't miss Jesus. Don't let what happened to these religious people happen to you. Remember what Christmas means. Jesus has come to rescue us. Jesus has come to forgive our sins and give us the gift of everlasting life. Jesus has come to make all things new, to make this world a better place for all of us. Run to him. Drop everything you're doing and go to Jesus. Seek out this holy child, this king, Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't say, I'll come when I'm ready. As the old song says, if you tarry until you're ready, you'll never come at all. Today is the day. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Today is the day of your salvation. Run to him. Scene four. The wise men find what they were looking for. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. What Matthew's telling us here is a reminder of something very, very important. We are, all of us, by nature, worshippers. All of us by nature have people and places and things that matter greatly to us. And so we are willing to sacrifice in order to attain those things that matter the most. Whether it's a a thing, a possession, whether it's a relationship. All of us have things that we worship. The act of giving our time, giving our money, giving our attention to that person or thing is an act of worship. And so when the wise men found Jesus, finding the true king of Israel, finding the son of God, their savior, finding the thing that made the most sense of their lives, they fell down and worshiped him. How did they do it? Well, I want to look at this real quickly together because I think it's instructive for us and how we might worship our king. First, they worshiped Jesus joyfully, Second, they worshipped him humbly. And finally, we see they worshipped him generously. According to verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's a lot of superlatives, is it not? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. In the message, Eugene Peterson translates this, they could hardly contain themselves. And I think even that is putting it too mildly to describe their joy. My friends, Christmas is a time for joy, exceeding, life-changing joy for all kinds of people. 
We rejoice because Jesus, our King, has offered us the gift of everlasting life. We rejoice because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, not in judgment, but in mercy. This Christmas season, bring your sorrow to Jesus, and he will bring you joy. Bring your indifference to Jesus, and he will bring you passion. Bring your deadness to Jesus, and he will bring you life. Joy. Worship him with joy. The next thing we see is they worshiped him with humility. According to verse 10, the wise men fell down and they worshiped him. That simple act of falling down marks true humility in the hearts of the wise men. By falling down, they were saying, Jesus, we are nothing compared to you. They were saying to Jesus, you are greater than I am. That's what worship is. It comes from an old English word called worthship, ascribing ultimate worth to God, saying, Jesus, you are worth more than anything in the world to me. But not only that, they were generous. According to verse 11, the wise men offered Jesus gifts, significant, thoughtful gifts. Gold, as you might imagine, is the medal of kings. And so in giving him this gift, they were saying, Jesus, you are the king. Frankincense was burned by the priests in the temple. And so by giving him this gift, they were saying that Jesus is our ultimate high priest. Our ultimate way of accessing the holy of holies. The high priest who gave his life so that we may be forgiven. Myrrh was a resin used to embalm the dead, which is a not-so-subtle reminder that even at the very first Christmas, Jesus was born under the shadow of the cross. Worship is about giving back a portion of what God has given us, not because God needs our gifts, but because he loves to receive our gifts, and he loves to receive our gifts because he loves us. When I was in third grade, I made my dad a Christmas present. It was a yellow gold ashtray. And it was the ugliest yellow gold ashtray I think that has ever been seen ever on earth. And I don't know why I gave my dad an ashtray since he quit smoking in about 1963. For 30 years, my dad kept that ugly ragtag yellow ashtray on his dresser to keep his loose change and his cufflinks. 30 years. I don't even think he wore cufflinks. I think he bought some to put some in that yellow ashtray. Now that was about the most ragtag gift a dad has ever received, but he loved that gift. And he loved the gift, not because he loved the gift, but because he loved me. It was a picture of of my love for him. My friends, when we give gifts to the Lord in the offering plate, in the collection, we take up these offerings, it's not about the gift. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he loves to receive the gifts that we give because they are a reflection of hearts that have been transformed by the power of his gospel. And so I encourage you, 
give generously. Again, not because God needs the gift, but because God loves you. And he rejoices as we lay down our gifts, the gold and frankincense and myrrh at the foot of our king. My friends, how important is Jesus to you? Before you answer that question, I want to remind you of how important you are to him. You are so important to Jesus that Jesus was willing to live for you. He was willing to leave his father's side in the throne room of heaven to come to a tiny town, Bethlehem, to be born in a manger, laid in a manger, a cattle stall. He was willing to live the life of obedience that all of us should have lived in order that we might be reconciled to God. But more than that, Jesus was willing to die for us. He was willing to suffer the indignities of the cross for us. He was willing to suffer the emotional, physical, and psychological anguish that could only come by dying on the cross in our place, absorbing the wrath of God, which was meant for us, that we might be clothed in his righteousness and his peace. That's how much you matter to Jesus. Will you seek him? Will you go wherever he calls you to go? Will you search him out? Will you follow the evidence wherever it leads? Don't be afraid. This journey might be exciting. It's filled with ups and downs and pitfalls all along the way, but it's the greatest journey that any of us could ever take. Will you worship him? Will you worship him with joy? Will you give him your dignity? Will you lay your treasures at his feet? If you do, you will find what the wise men found. Light and life and hope and peace and salvation. That's what Christmas is all about. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, which is ours through Christ. I pray, Lord God, that in this busy Christmas season where we're shopping for gifts and preparing things and preparing meals, that you would not let that great truth be lost on us, but that we would see you clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.